these questions when we, you know, just try to live out our lives and, and, and just get through the day. But here, here are three important questions that I think that all of us have to embrace at some point in our lives. Number one is, who am I? Who am I? Can you, can you identify who you are at the very core of your being? You know, can you, can you say, who am I? And then the second question and the third question that comes from that, who am I? And the second question would be, what do I stand for? And number three is, why do I stand for it? Those are three really important questions because the reality is, if, you know, you may not have articulated those questions, you know, personally in that particular way, but I would argue that, you know, every decision you make, every, every, everything that's important to you is usually guided by those three questions. In fact, um, understanding those three questions really gives your life meaning and gives your life purpose, helps you to understand why you react the way you do, or helps you to understand the world and the way you view the world that's, that's around us. So can you say this morning, who am I? What is it that's important to me? What, you know, what do I, what do I value? What do I stand for? And the third thing is, why do I stand for it? Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, um, when it comes to the whole, you know, question of identity, when it comes to the whole question of what is it that I stand for and why do I stand for it, it's kind of been written into your faith experience. The Bible has a lot to say about our identity, has a lot to say about who we are and who we have now become. Now, you know, it's, we, we can almost treat it like, you know, I've, I've worked this job all my life and this is what I do, so this is who I am. But it's a little different in a Christian context. It's a little different when you become a child of God. It's significantly different when you can claim to be now the son or the daughter of our Heavenly Father. And today we're going to look at this whole, you know, um, topic of identity and why it matters and what you stand for and why you should stand for it. And I'm going to read a couple of passages. And the first passage I want to read this morning is um, from James 1.18. Um, I think... Did we jump ahead a little bit too far? I think we jumped ahead a little bit too far. I, I, may, have, I may have gotten into farther than I intended. But anyway, here's, here's the James passage, 118. And, and James has been talking about the temptations that, that come our way and how, you know, um, the, they affect our lives and how we submit to the temptations of our own desires. That's why we get into trouble, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then he, out of all of this, he suddenly reminds the people of God, he suddenly reminds those of us that become believers in Jesus Christ that God chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. So, you know, the, the Bible is an important way in which God communicates his truth to us. But I love what he says here at the very end of it. And we, we, out of all of creation, became his prized possession. Now, I want you to soak that in. 
that we, as the church, as the body of believers, as you and I as fellow Christians, that we, out of all of creation, are God's prized possession. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if you are God, there's a lot of things you can brag about. Okay, there's a lot of things that you can say, and there's a lot of things that you can, you can virtually say, you know, no one else has been able to do this. I, I can create universes. I can put anything I want in place. I can build the most majestic, you know, uh, palace. I can, I can use all the best materials that, that creation has to offer, and I can, I can do whatever, whatever. And yet you, out of everything that exists on this planet our prized possession of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's a perspective that sometimes, I, I don't know, we forget. Maybe in the, in the difficulties of life or, you know, the circumstances you find yourself in, sometimes you don't feel like you're a prized possession, especially a prized possession of the creator of the universe. And, and you know, that's, that's the point I want to make out of all of this, that we as redeemed people, we as the church of Jesus Christ, become examples of God's restoration of creation. You know, we've talked about creation being this, this, this fallen entity, this, this mess, this, you know, fallenness of unintentionality that God originally wanted for creation. But it is what it is, and yet out of it, God redeems, and we become examples of what it means for God to restore creation to what he originally intended. So we become examples as prized possessions of God to the potential that others can have when they place faith in our Heavenly Father. And that's a big responsibility, but at the same time, it's an incredible privilege that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. And I love that passage because how many of us in this day and age believe that the church, as we talk about the body of believers, are God's prized possession? That you are God's prized possession. That God looks at you with an element and, and, and a fullness of love that, frankly, is hard to fully grasp. And yet, that is the way that God looks at, at us. So, you know, um, let's, let's take the negative view. How, how do you think... It, it hurts our Heavenly Father when the church is acting selfish or in its self-interest or not seeing itself as a prized possession or not seeing itself as a demonstration of a restored creation and how it, it kind of mars what God intended for the church to be. You know, uh, I know, I know you guys have heard me harp about, you know, how in important during the pandemic it has been for the church to be the church. And, the, and, it's, and, and it's only because of passages like this that remind me of how, how the church 
becomes this vehicle, this vessel, this important kind of demonstration to the world of God's redeeming hand on people and the difference that it can make and how, how people need to see that in the midst of the difficulties and the mess that we find ourselves in on the, in this planet in many, many ways. So I'm going to, you know, jump from that particular passage and I'm going to jump into 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12 because here, here is, you know, Peter sort of takes this general idea that, that James has given us and now he's, he's given us, you know, even more details about what it means in our identity in Jesus Christ. So this is, you know, a lot for believers here this morning when it comes to identity. But if you're not a believer here this morning, this is really, really important because there's no other institution, there's no other job, there's no other, you know, thing that you could involve yourself that is going to give you this kind of self-identity just because you've embraced the truth. And it's beautiful, and it's powerful, and it lifts you up as a human being in the eyes of God because it is God who has blessed you with these categories in your life because of your faith in Jesus Christ. So here it is out of 1 Peter 2.9. Peter's been talking about, you know, the, the community of believers being a new temple and is built on the foundation of Christ. And Christ is the cornerstone of that temple. And he's, he's given this beautiful picture of what the church is in the world around. And he says, but unfortunately, some people still don't get it. Some people don't, don't get, you know, and, or want to embrace this beautiful truth about, about what it means to be the people of God. And then he says, but you are not like that. So he's speaking to us as believers right now. He's saying, you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, and God's very own possession. There it is again. Okay? Now this, this from, from here on, this is very simple. This is basically just to remind you of your identity in Christ this morning. So who are we? Here, here are the four blessings of a believer's identity, and there's four things that get mentioned here. And by the way, all four of these things come right out of the Old Testament, right out of uh, Exodus 19, 5 and 6, and Deuteronomy 7, okay? That's where they come out. Like, Peter, Peter hasn't reinvented these categories, that come right out of the Old Testament. And some of these were ritualistic in the Old Testament. Some of these were, were titles to actual positions of people in the Old Testament. But now as believers in Jesus Christ and now in the body of believers and now as the church, Peter says, you know, all of these categories, all these ritualistic things that, that it did in the Old Testament, that now becomes part of who we are as modern day Christians. And it's a beautiful picture. And you know what? I, I don't know, I was really struck this week as I got into my office and I was working through this message and, and hearing these four things repeated again in my own heart and in my own life, it just lift, it lifted me up. I, I have to tell you, it reminded me of something and the value that I have as a human being to God and what I represent. And I don't know if this is gonna touch you in the same way, but it was really meaningful for me 
So here are the four blessings, and, and you know, we, we've just read them, but we're going to do it all over again. So we are a chosen people. Now, uh, again, you're going to think that, you know, what it means by chosen people here is um, that God kind of lines everybody up and says, I'll take that one, I'll take that one, I'll take that one, I'll take that one. That's not really what's going on here, okay? It's a way in the New Testament of talking about how God has chosen us because God loves us. It's not because we're special or we're privileged. This statement is more about the love of God coming upon the world and allowing us to be received by him. Uh, the nation of Israel was chosen. It wasn't because God said, this is the nation that has it all together. These are the people that have it all together. These are the people that kind of impressed me, and, and, and I've decided I'm going to choose them and because they're just special human beings. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with God's incredible love for us and the reciprocal feeling that we get that we've been chosen, that it's a beautiful gift to be recognized that God loves us in an unconditional way. And that in the same way that Israel was called as a chosen people to be the vehicle by which the rest of the world would come to understand who God is, we are in the same kind of position. That we are chosen by God, but not chosen by God, you know, just so we can lap in the luxury of God's love, but to emulate that love to others and to show that love to others and to be the vehicle by which other people see the love of God. The choosing, the, and, the, and the choosing, no matter what we want to think about the choosing, is purely by the grace of God. Purely by the grace of God. You know, it's like in the Gospel of John. John the Apostle said, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, it's fascinating that John the Apostle used that kind of uh, phraseology for himself. Um, he, 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 John doesn't mention himself by name. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that sounds a bit arrogant. When you first read it, you think it's kind of arrogant. But what it really is, is John is overwhelmed by the fact that he is a disciple of Jesus Christ, that he got to walk with Jesus, touch and talk with him and witness him and hear his teaching and watch him heal other people, that John was overwhelmed by it. And that's the way he self-identified himself, as I am the disciple. With all my insecurities, with all my frail human weaknesses, with all the things that I should be judged for, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. The Apostle Paul talks about this total act of grace and when he says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, Ephesians 1, 4 to 6. See, whatever we want to think about theologically, about being chosen and predestined and all of that kind of stuff, that's all before the foundation of the world. That is all before the foundation of the world. 
And it's an absolute gracious gift of God. Here's the second thing you and I are in the church, the body of believers, is a royal priesthood. Now, in the Old Testament, you had the priesthood and you had the king, right? And the priests were the ones that, that uh, told the king, you know, and, and, and became the scribes for the king and helped discipline the king and the things of the law and the things of the Torah. And then there was the priesthood, and the priesthood was the special uh, representatives to the people of God, and they were the ones that would do the holy sacrifices and go into the holy of holies and all of that kind of stuff. And here, suddenly, these two terminologies are merged together, and we are a royal priesthood, that the functions of the priest and the functions of the king in the Old Testament are now combined in you and I. Yeah. And one of the things about the priesthood is the priesthood would, would pray and, and sacrifice and, and be able to, you know, be the representative of God to the people. But now in this New Testament kind of era that we live in, that we have the privilege to come before the very throne of grace ourselves, that we don't have a need an intermediary in the sense of being able to to pray to God our Father and to ask Him directly and to hear from God the Father. Here's the other thing we miss about all of this, right? It's an incredible privilege to be able to pray directly to God and to have that, you know, communion with our Heavenly Father and the Creator of the universe. Here's the other part of it that's really amazing is that I can be a priest for you and to pray for you and what you need. I'm not saying that, by the way, as the pastor of the church. I'm saying that as a fellow believer in Jesus Christ, that you have the same opportunity to pray for someone else and to be that priestly function for them and to bless them. Do you, rea do you realize that we have the ability to bless other people in the name of Jesus? And that's an incredible pri privilege that we have to be able to pray for another person. I think it's really significant when someone says, you know, I have been praying for you. I don't know if you, how that impacts you to know that someone has taken time out of their schedule, busy or not, and have gone before our Father in heaven and asked on your behalf for him to act. That's an incredible privilege that we have as believers. And I don't know about you, but when you gather together, you know, I've been in situations, you know, can I, you know, I've been in situations where um, there's been conflict and, and, you know, been asked to come in and you can, you can feel the tension as you get into the room. Have you ever been in a situation like this? You can feel the tension you get in, in the room right? And I remember this one particular situation, and I'm going, how are we going to deal with this? This is not very easy. It's a very uncomfortable situation. There's going to be some awkward things going to be said. And I remember really vividly somebody in the room saying, can we, before we even say anything, can we just all pray together? Now, one of the individuals in the room wasn't even a a believer that we were convinced or didn't, wasn't sure they had any kind of a relationship. And I remember 
I remember the tone that got set in that whole awkward, potentially awkward, you know, situation. And I remember all, you know, a number of us who were in that room, we all prayed. And I remember everything changed after that prayer. Have you ever had a situation like that and everything changes after that prayer? Suddenly, what could potentially have been a huge conflict or potentially could have been a huge awkward situation and could have gotten uglier and worse was just something, something melted in that room. Whatever egos, whatever hate, whatever anger, whatever, it was just, it was one of those things. And suddenly everything melted. And what I thought was going to be, a, 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 you know, a moment where you're going to have to say, well, this is the way it's got to be. We can't go on like this anymore. We're going to have to resolve it, and this is how we're, we're going to resolve it, and, you know, do the hard line thing. What ended up happening is everybody just agreed, this is, just, this is ugly. Can we just... <laughs> and I remember walking out of that room and, and realizing the thing that was different in that room out of everything that could have potentially happened was the fact that we sat down and prayed first and foremost. And what the Spirit of God did in that moment was melt all the hate, all the anger, all the potential revenge outcomes, all of that kind of stuff. And to this day, I remember it as one of the most powerful moments where we petitioned our Heavenly Father, the Spirit of God came in, and it was just a moment where we had this incredible privilege as believers to fix something that we thought was impossible to be fixed. That's what it means to be a royal priesthood. And the power that it has in the way it can infuse our lives. The third thing I want to talk about is this holy nation that we are. This holy nation. Now, um, okay, quick, quick seminary exam. All right, here we are. We're, we're in seminary, all right, and we talk about the word holy. If I ask you to define the word holy, what is holy? Set apart, Set apart okay? Okay, what if I told you that was wrong? <laughs> Say, eh. Now, who, nobody, yeah, sorry. No, I, actually, that's, that's wrong that I said it was wrong. Okay, it's only, it's only partially right. Okay. Okay. Without sin. Okay. Hey. Jimmy's been reading his books. <laughs> okay. What, okay. No. In all, yeah. In all fairness, what, what was the difference of what you know, set apart for God? See, a lot, a lot of times we get the definition of holy as this thing set apart, but it's not. You're not set apart to rot. Okay? You're not set apart because, um, oh, anytime I was set apart as a child, it was sitting in the corner because I was bad. <laughs> I don't know about you. John, you're set apart. Like, go, okay? Okay? <laughs> yeah, you, you don't laugh at that because you can actually see me being in the corner, can't you? Right? I know. Okay? Right? But that's, but, but that's the textbook. That's the textbook 
definition of holy. It's something that is set apart. But what a lot of the times that they miss about the definition, at least the biblical definition, is not you're just not set apart just because, because you, know, uh, you know, we don't want you being polluted by this other stuff or we don't want you affecting these other things or anything like that. That you're set aside for a purpose. You're set aside for a reason that is for God's glory and for God's honor. For the purposes of God, that's what you're set aside. And when it talks about that we're a holy nation, as a church, we're set aside to, to live out the great commandment. We're set aside to live out the great commission, to make a difference in the world. We're not just set apart. Some, sometimes you, you, know, you get the feeling that there's churches that are set apart because we don't touch anything that the world is doing. Okay, that's, there's not a single, you know, biblical... Uh, reason to become set apart and never see people and never be around people ever again okay we're a holy nation set apart for good works for good works and this you know if there's anything that separates us for the world from the world it's the mission and the reason we do what we do it's for the glory and the mission of God. So here's the, the fourth thing is God's very own possession. There we are again with this whole thing, God's very own possession. We are a prized possession of God. Here we are again with this whole, whole you know, um, picture that we are special in the sight of God. You know, have you ever, have, have you ever thought that you exist for the pleasure of God. Have you ever thought about that? Okay? Have you ever thought that the way that God has shaped you and crafted you and the way that God has made you, that, that it's not only because to bless other people or the gifts that God has given you, it's for God's own pleasure as well? That God delights in you? That God wants to bless you? That God loves you and, and, and you actually give God pleasure? That he, he smiles when he sees you acting in the way that he made you and created you and how you're blessing other people? That that blesses God's own heart as well? And sometimes, you know, we walk around thinking that, that, that you know, God is waiting for that moment to put his thumb on us and say, ugh, caught you again. But that's, that's not what the, you know, this particular passage portrays for us as people. The phenomenal, you know, for, for the early church, this was a phenomenal concept, okay? As they were suffering persecution and was, they were being rejected by the the culture at large and, and, and being abused and all of that. At the same time, they were realizing that they were owned and treasured by God. That this adopted mindset changed the way that they viewed the world around them. They needed to know that they were chosen as God's special possession in this earth. Okay? So this is, this is why this is important, because the identity that we choose to live by often dictates the behave, how we behave and the decisions we make, okay? 
hear, hear this out. This is really important. The identity that we choose to live by often dictates how we behave and the decisions we make. All right? Most of you know this instinctively. You know that however I identify, if I identify myself constantly as a person that's been abused, you know that we're going to behave in a particular way and you know that we're going to make certain decisions based on how it is that we identify ourselves. If we identify ourselves you know, purely by our jobs, for instance, you know once you lose that job, you, you suddenly feel that you're totally devalued. You, maybe you got fired. For, maybe you've worked 30 years in this particular position, and it's been your life, and it's been what you've poured your life into. Suddenly you got fired for some particular we- reason. How many of you feel after the 30 years that you dedicated that you're no longer worthy? And you know it's going to affect the way you behave after that, and you know it's going to affect the way you make decisions after that. But as believers in Jesus Christ, if we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus, you know that we're going to behave a particular way, and you know they're going to make certain decisions. So it's important how you identify yourself. It's important because it shapes your entire existence and shapes your entire life okay so let's let's continue reading i'm gonna you know wrap this up really quick here because we got uh more of the verses that peter is talking about so as a result peter says you can show others the goodness of god for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light Okay? Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Listen how he talks to these others, okay? Once you had no identity, all right? You may have belonged to, a, you know, a, 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 a nation and, and all of this kind of stuff, but really your identity, it's nothing compared to who you are in Jesus Christ. Now you are God's people. Once you, have rec- once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Now, here, here's why this passage is so important, because we've just asked, you know, Peter's just said, you know, who are you? W- you know, what is your identity? And he says, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here are these four blessings of identity that you have, okay? And remember the other two questions I said, right? Here, Peter answers, what do we stand for? What do we stand for? Okay, so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what do you stand for? And here it is, to show others the goodness of God. That's what you stand for, you, you know, to show others the goodness of God, okay? How he's taken you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that he's made this transfer in your life, that you have been transported, you know, into the kingdom of God. We, we talked about that last week, that you are now living kingdom principles to show other people the goodness of God. We're hoping to have baptisms next week. They're hoping to have a couple, um, if they come forward, to have baptisms next week. We're still working on that. And you guys know that every time we have a baptism, we, we love to get dedi- you know, people given their um, testimonies about baptisms. You know? What difference? And, and, and testimonies are all about telling people what difference Jesus has made in their lives. 
That at one time they were living, you know, this, this light lifestyle, this kingdom of darkness, and, and Jesus transferred me into the kingdom of light. That, and because of that, I want to show other people the goodness of God, what God has done in my life. And because of that, I want to show the goodness of God because it's the same thing that God can do in your life. It's the same thing that God can do in your life. So what do we stand for? Okay, when people say, what, 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 what should the church stand for? You know, how many of us have ever answered, the church stands for showing the rest of the world the goodness of God? How many of us would, you know, say, you know, would say the gospel, the good news, you know, uh, salvation, all of that kind of stuff? But imagine how much less pressure it is to say, we just want to show the world the goodness of God. Yeah, we are about the gospel. We are about the truth of Jesus. We are about that. But all of that relates to showing people the goodness of God. Okay? Let me, let me, finish, let me finish up, okay, with the last part of this particular uh, passage. So Peter says, Dear friends then, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give glory to God when he judges the world. Okay? So, what do we stand for? Showing the world the goodness of God. So why do we stand for it? Why do we stand for it? Even though this is not our home, there's a war for souls that is being waged right now. Okay? So even though this isn't our home, we recognize that there's a war going on for souls right now. That is the why that we do this. This isn't... This isn't just, you know, just oh, a philosophical position, a worldview position. This is, this is, the, you know, this is, this is something that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rectify. And for some strange reason, we as a church are chosen, or we as a people of God all around the world are chosen to show the rest of the world the goodness of God and to recognize that there's a war being waged for souls of people all over the world. And it doesn't matter where we go, it's the same anywhere. So, who are you? What do you stand for? And why do you stand for it? Have you ever asked yourself those questions? Have you answered them in a way that maybe doesn't necessarily ref reflect your belief as a Christian? Have you ever wondered why it's so important that the Bible continually tells us that we are in Christ? That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, that your identity upon belief has been set in the person of Jesus Christ and that your feet have been set in the direction of a mission and of a purpose 
and your life has been given meaning and you live with a kind of hope that you didn't have before. And you could identify with all kinds of things, humanly speaking, but they don't give you what identity in Christ gives you. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, I pray this is kind of reignited in you a sense of who God made you to be. And I hope it's given you a better sense of your purpose, a better sense of meaning in your life, and a better sense of God's love for you as his chosen, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, and as a prized possession. I don't know how many times I've had to ask myself this week with um, some situations that I found myself where God reminded me that that particular person is one of my prized possessions. I don't know about you, but I've suddenly taken on that title um, for other people. And it's started to reshape the way I, I look at others, especially if I know they're a follower of Jesus Christ, to remind myself that they're one of God's prized possessions. And that's true of the church. And hopefully, that is true of you, that you remember it. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for our identity in Jesus. Thank you for the blessings of what we become. And I know that those passages really are talking about the church collectively, but we are, the church is made up of so many individuals. And I thank you that we can be reminded today that though we may be seen by the world by all kinds of labels and titles, that in your eyes, we are so much more. Lord, can we live to what our identity is? And if we live in that particular way, what a difference it'll make in our lives. Lord, there's someone here today who is no longer feeling valuable, who is feeling that they're not worthy, that they don't have value of any kind, that they've lost hope. They're probably looking at a form of despair. They may be hiding it secretly from the people around them. Lord, I pray in this moment that your spirit would touch that person's life, that you would remind them who they are in you, that they would, that your spirit would whisper into their heart and mind that they are a prized possession of yours. Lord, 
I just thank you for the identity you have given us as followers of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would live to the purpose and the meaning that we now have to show others your goodness because we recognize that there's a war going on. So we thank you, Lord, for this reminder today of who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, John. Um, we wanted to close the service this morning with a worship song that just reminds us of um, how special we are to Christ. So please stand and join us as we worship with the song, We Are. We are the 
Thank you.